Yeah. All right. Wow. So you were, uh, that's you. Okay. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. How's it going? So much going on today. It's great. I love it when there's just so much happening at church. And uh, it's just wonderful. Well, the last two weeks, we've covered a lot of territory. In fact, it may be um, impossible to cover more ground than we've covered the last two weeks. We've gone all the way from creation to the very end of time. So that's quite a feat. Yeah. So in only, in only two 30-minute messages. So that's good. So, um, so last week in particular, I talked about um, the fact that, you know, God's end goal for us is not that we simply leave this earth and go and live with him in heaven forever. And I talked about the fact that this earth really is our home and that the picture at the very end of the Bible is of heaven coming to earth and of the fullness of the kingdom of God being revealed on this earth. And so I just want to pick up from that thought. And what I want to do is kind of apply it to where we are right now today in history and what it means for you. So, so you may have wondered, what has all of this talk of creation got to do with my life? What's all of this talk about, like, the fact that, you know, God's ultimate realization of his kingdom is going to be in this earth? You know, sometime away in the future, what's that got to do with me today? And today is the fill in the blank what it means for you today. All right? So it's going to be, I think it's going to be really rich. It's going to be a really, just, it's just fun. It's just really fun stuff. And we finished last week with the question of, instead of being really, really focused on, um, on how do I personally get saved and go to heaven? Because that question doesn't, doesn't really apply quite so much anymore in terms of it's just about me. It's about all of us together because God is, God is redeeming and saving a whole, a whole um, body for himself, a whole group of people. And we individually fit into that in a very important way. But instead of just thinking about ourselves only and how we are saved, the question becomes, how can we participate together to see God's new creation come on the earth? Because one amazing truth is, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have to wait until heaven comes to earth in that final kind of consummation of everything that God wants to do. It can actually begin and really has begun since Christ came to earth in these present times today. And so each one of you, we're going to see in a moment, actually is a picture of the new creation already on the earth. And that's where it gets really exciting. So last week, I just want to wrap up. Last week I got a couple of questions afterwards about where do things like the tribulation and and the millennium and, and like all of these kind of like, you know, eschatological kind of last things, where does all this fit into the picture of what you're talking about? And I just want to kind of clarify that before I move on. And we think of kind of end times things. We think about are you pre-millennial or amillennial, you know, and there's all of these different categories that we apply. When is it, when, what order are things going to happen in, you know, when Christ comes back and all of these different things. And I just want to be clear, I don't really, you know, my intention is not to really get into all of that stuff because I want you to picture a timeline. If this is us today, the other end of the platform is what I'm talking about which is the absolute final end point of history as we know it, when heaven comes to earth and everything is redeemed. All of the other stuff that we typically think about the end times is all of this kind of middle ground in between us where we are today and that final end. It's the kind of mechanics of how it's all going to happen. 
but it doesn't take away from the end point, which is that the city of God, where he dwells, where the fullness of his presence is, comes to earth permanently and forever. Does that make sense? So please don't confuse the two. I mean, it's just a whole separate um, series of sermons that Cameron would love to preach sometime. (laughs) That's a joke. So the question is, how can the new creation come? It's amazingly appropriate that we have baptism today. Because if there's one image that the New Testament uses for resurrection, it's baptism. Okay? And Romans 6, which Cameron just, just read from, as, as we are in the water before we go underneath, that is a symbol of the old person, who we were before we became new in Christ. And as we go underneath the water, in that split second they were underneath the water, we are dead symbolically if you stayed in that place you would die okay you may have thought about that before i don't know but so the fact that we are raised out of that water by somebody else is highly significant if we aren't raised out of that water then we remain in death And the resurrection, the whole point of baptism and the resurrection is that we no longer remain in death. So the fact, and that's exactly what we're talking about. When I say I'm not talking about end times, what I am talking about is the resurrection and what it means. Because each one of us are living in the resurrection of Christ. And ultimately we're looking at how that unfolds throughout history. Does that make sense? There are two other pictures Um, I thought of in the Bible to do with resurrection and the new life that we live. One is the picture of sleep. I don't know if you've read in the New Testament, but Paul talks about believers who haven't died so much as falling asleep. Have you ever thought about that? Why would he say that? Well, the fact that we go to sleep and then that we waken up every morning is a picture of death and resurrection. It says in uh, Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 24. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Have you ever thought about that? His mercies are new every morning. How many of you have heard that phrase? Why are they new every morning? Because every morning is a picture of new creation. Every morning we awaken from the death of sleep to a new day to live for Christ. And it's a picture of when we die, there will be that period where death seems to have the final say, but ultimately, we will all be resurrected to live for Christ. Another picture is just, sorry, just another emphasis of that. It's just the fact that his mercy is new. So really, it's it's not a whole separate picture. It's just a different emphasis. It's not so much on the fact that we remain in sleep or we remain in death, but just the newness of his mercy. And every morning as we waken, I'm really bad at waking up in the morning, but the the goal is that every morning we waken up, we say, thank you, God, for a new day. Thank you, God, for that reminder of my future hope that one day death will not have the final say in my life. Does that make sense? You know, Christ's resurrection brought in, inaugurated a new creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. 
and we are part of that new creation. You know, um, in one of the Gospels, it talks about Jesus is mistaken for a gardener. Have you ever read that? Wondered, what does that mean? That's kind of a funny thing to keep in the Bible, that Jesus, you know, are you the gardener? No. You know, why would they keep that in there? Well, that was actually a little clue as to what was going on in the bigger picture. Because if you think about the first creation, Adam was a gardener before he was anything else. And so, in one sense, Christ is way more than a gardener. But in one sense, he's exactly a gardener. Because he's cultivating, it's the inauguration of a new creation. Yeah, he's the second Adam. So there's all these little pictures in here to help us clue in. The future hope that we're living in right now and looking forward to is the never-ending extension of God's kingdom. Okay, another way to think about this is we're really familiar with thinking about the cross, right? Justification for sin. You know, the past is put to death. You know, we need the cross in order to even come to the point of baptism, to even think about new life. Okay, we're familiar with that. We're also familiar with experiencing the Holy Spirit and experiencing God's presence and really rejoicing in that. And this, in this church in particular, we really like that, right? Experiencing God's presence in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? Okay. On the one hand, you have the cross that we just talked about. Experiencing the Holy Spirit and God's presence, that is Pentecost, right? That's when that really started in, in huge measure. What we're talking about is the resurrection in the middle. So we're really familiar, and some people kind of get stuck with the cross, and that's enough for them, and they never make it to experiencing the fullness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, we all know, some of us have been there. I was, I was raised there, you know, never experienced this whole thing of the Holy Spirit. But as a church, we're really good at experiencing the Holy Spirit. We also hold that with really understanding the cross and the forgiveness of sin. But we're also called to live in a place of resurrection. We're also called to live in that place. Have you ever read in uh, Philippians 3 where Paul talks about that he would know the power of the resurrection of Christ? And uh, verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul held the resurrection very, very highly. It was absolutely central and critical to his thinking. And so... um, it's absolutely necessary that we're people of the cross. It's absolutely necessary that we're people of Pentecost to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm talking about is we need to be people also of the resurrection, people who experience that resurrection power in our lives and also make it known to the world. Okay, what does that mean for us today? You know, there's that popular thought that I kind of hit on a couple of weeks ago where, it's, you know, as Christians and as the church, we're told to flee the world, you know, because... Because the world is complicated, it's messy, and there's a lot of sin and evil out there. And we're told those are the reasons we should flee the world. Well, those very reasons are the reasons that we should get engaged with the world. Um, we're, not, we're not supposed to be afraid of the world because he who is in us is greater. He has overcome the power of the world. And, you know, we have something greater than, like, you know, somebody said, are you confident about, about this future hope you have? You know, you say, well, I don't need to be confident about it. You know, it's even more solid than confidence. It's absolutely guaranteed. It's, absolute, it's, it's the most solid thing you could ever build your life upon, this resurrection hope that we have in Christ. You know, think about this. You know, if we were merely saved to go to heaven, to escape this earth, who would have won 
in that picture? Would not the enemy have won that victory? Because we were built to live on earth. When God created us, we lived, we lived on earth. Humanity lived on earth. The corruption of sin came in through the serpent and the deception of the serpent. If God merely comes and takes us from the earth and says, okay, let's all go to heaven, who has won? The fullest victory is won on earth. You know, that is the only way there can be victory. And God's ultimately going to bring that victory to completion. But it doesn't have to wait because we are the ones to bring that in and to help bring that in right now today. Have you ever wondered about in what sense are we all prophetic? Well, God loves to be prophetic and to give signs. You know, when Jesus came to earth, there were so many signs given, so many prophetic words spoken, and Christ fulfilled every single one of them. Well, God is still in the business of giving signs to this world, and each one of us is that sign. Because in baptism, we are raised with Christ. We are all new creations. Have you heard that before, that you're a new creation in Christ? Well, what does that mean? It means that you live in a totally different paradigm than the world. It means that you live in a radically different world. It means you're a citizen of heaven, but you're still living on earth. In that way, your whole life is prophetic because your life itself as a Christian is a prophetic declaration to the world of the resurrection power of God. You notice in Matthew 28, Christ is the great commission. He sends the disciples out. He doesn't say, make sure they all get saved. He wanted them to be baptized, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why was it so important? Why did he say that? Because it was really, really critical that the disciples understood and that each one of us who have followed on in the faith since then understand that being baptized into the name of Jesus as Lord is a radical statement of new creation. So the thing about baptism is it really cements this idea in our lives that we are raised to new life, raised in resurrection power. And Christ wanted the disciples to really get that. And they did. They really got it. Because you see, in Acts of the Apostles, they really start to go out in newness of power. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, to equip them for their mission. But they already understood when the Holy Spirit came what that power was for because Christ had told them that they were a people of new creation and that baptism was the sign for that new creation. Does that kind of piece together a little bit? So you're very quiet this morning. I don't know. I feel like... Okay. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll make it all make sense. So what is God's call for us? Um, God's call for us is to engage with the world. And this is where it gets really, really exciting because when God, when the, when the heaven comes to earth in the fullest sense and God redeems this world, he's going to bring a refinement. The fire and the burning that you read about in the New Testament is not to destroy the world but to refine it. And there's a very real sense that God will refine humanity and society and culture and nations at whatever point in history they've attained. He's going to start from that point and then refine it. So God isn't going to come and wipe out everything, every cultural achievement, every artistic endeavor, everything that we've done. He's going to come and refine 
the life's work of generation after generation of person who's lived on this earth in every culture of the world. And you might say, how do you know that? Well, think about in your life. When you became a Christian, did God suddenly make you become like a baby again so you could start over? Did he go back to zero in your life? Or did he refine what you gave him? You know? And so so think about your life. Think about what you do with your time, with your vocation, with everything that you do. And we've been told for so long it's only the spiritual stuff that matters in your life. That's the only thing that has lasting value. But if we really understand the resurrection, we realize that every single thing that we do has value because all of it will be refined. And that includes what you work at. It includes the things that you're passionate about. Does that make sense? And suddenly, everything in life, you know, you can kind of relax with this message in one sense because it's like I don't have to work 40, 50 hours a week so that I can simply then carve out some other time to be spiritual, to gain my spiritual treasure in heaven. All of it contributes to that treasure. Your whole life, you ever thought about, how is my whole life worship? You know, your whole life is worship in this way because your whole life is oriented to bringing in the kingdom and living in the power of new creation. And that's when it all suddenly makes sense. It all kind of comes together. You know, um, cultural development is a very, very good and necessary part of human life. And I, I alluded to a couple of weeks ago that by the end of Genesis 3, 4, there's already things like artistic creation and craftsmanship, and there's cities being formed. Humanity cannot help but create culture and everything that goes along with it. Justice, politics, government, art, all of those things. We're wired that way, and it's really good. You know, and we've been taught sometimes in the church that any cultural involvement is bad because it's not spiritual. But we feel that tension because it's like, well, it just seems like we're made to like, I mean, I've got this artistic talent. What should I do with it? You know, I should spiritualize it. What does that mean? You know, and really all of that stuff is great. I hold right here possibly the best sermon illustration in history. Coffee. Because I'm going to show you how culture is really, really important. Okay, without culture, coffee would not exist. (laughs) Yes, the the content of this seemingly unassuming cup is proof of the new creation at work in our lives. (laughs) Well, think about it. Okay, where does coffee come from? A berry. Okay, so first of all, it's a plant produces a a cherry. Okay, then what happens? That has to be harvested. Well, it has to be cultivated to come to 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 ripen. Then it has to be harvested. Okay, then you have to extract the seeds from that cherry, which are actually your coffee bean. Then you have to clean it. You have to dry them. You have to store them. You have to transport them. They're bought and sold numerous times. Then they're roasted, ground, and brewed, and finally drunk. If you didn't have farmers who develop and cultivate that bean, who then hand that over to people who um, know how to, to really harvest it and how to really manipulate it, 
who then know how to transport it, who then are involved with commerce to buy and sell and store those beans. So then people who know how to roast them, people who know how to grind, grind the bean, and then people who know how to brew it. Yeah. And people then who know how to drink it, <laughs> which is a culture of itself. But you see what I'm saying? The potential stored up in that plant will never be harnessed without culture, without technology, without development. And that's just one very, very small example. Does that make sense? And people had to discover that you could roast a coffee bean and drink it. Is that bad? I would say it's really good. <laughs> I think there really will be coffee in the resurrection. <laughs> okay, so that's one example. Okay. So when you think about, you know, should I get involved with, you know, the education system, you know, and helping to make that right? Should I get involved with, you know, um, politics and the different issues that are going on? Should I get involved in, take your pick, the art scene in Kalamazoo? Should I do, you know, just, just picture whatever thing comes to your mind? And the answer is yes. We absolutely need to be involved. In fact, the great sin is that we don't. And that's, that's, that's kind of the problem. Um, the thing is, you'll find and you will have found as you've done good works in the past, helped a hungry person or a homeless person, you know, and as you get into, you know, good things in life, you'll find like resistance sometimes. You'll find like, I really wanted to help this person. And it seems like organizations that try to really help, like they meet resistance and there's that kind of like tension as you go out in the world. You would think that there's so much need in the world that the world would love and accept your help, right? Have you ever encountered resistance as you've gone out to do, to do things like that? We're always in a state of flux. Things are always tending because of sin towards depravity and greater sinfulness. And so it's our challenge and, and our commission to help bring them the other way. <clears throat> so whatever it is culturally that's going this way, <clears throat> without our influence, we'll keep going this way. And it's our job to come in and help it go this way. You know, it really is. Um, Everything is, everything is back and forth. And if you are upset by that fact, then, you know, you just have to accept things will be back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And sometimes great victories are won, you know. Like, I've heard a lot recently about William Wilberforce, who helped to see slavery ended in the UK. Some, that is a great, great victory that he dedicated a huge portion of his life to. And actually didn't see the final victory until after his death. Sometimes there's really, really great things like that. But, you know, for every William Wilberforce, there needs to be so many more other people who are willing to just do a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Amen. You know? Amen. And, that's, and that's the call. We don't all have to measure ourselves against Mother Teresa, William Wilberforce, or all of those people, you know? Right. We don't. Like, we feel bad. And we're like, wow, I could never go and scoop people out of the gutter in Calcutta and really love them. And you don't have to. Right. But you do have to, you know, do stuff here. You know, um, there's a reason, there's many reasons that there's resistance in the world. But I think one big one is that when you think about, think about good works right now, 
feeding the poor and, and, and helping the homeless and, and, and overcoming sickness and disease. He noticed that virtually everything to do with that is overcoming the result of the fall, overcoming the result of sin. You know, and I feel like um, that is just, a, and the resistance we find is the world saying, please, church, don't help. We don't need your help. And why would they say that? I feel like there's an, that orphan spirit that the world has that says, we want to fix our own mess. We want to do it ourselves. You know, please, church, don't come in and tell us that there's a resurrection power in new creation. We can't accept that message, but we'll do it ourselves. Thanks. You know, yeah. Please stay separate from what we're doing because we want to do it ourselves. You know, and our, and our thing is, well, we understand a father, you know. We understand a father and we have a message that you don't have to be an orphan any longer. You don't have to do it by yourself any longer. There is a way to get this done. Yes. So our work has eternal value. Our jobs, our hobbies, our talents really matter. You know, finding a, a vocation to be passionate about and finding your life's purpose and your life's work is more than just you being personally happy and finding your place in the kingdom. That is important. But you doing that, you're actually, in, in a small way, redeeming the value of work itself. When we're passionately engaged with our life's work, we are giving true value back to work itself you know and how many of us know people and they're just working for the paycheck they count at five o'clock comes that's it i'm not working anymore i'm gonna go home you know and they've devalued work itself you know work as as a thing as whatever you want to call it has, is being devalued by that approach when we passionately find what god has created us to do we are in some way pulling the, what work itself is back to being redeemed. You know? And that's another small picture. When we um, use artistic talent, when we use our business knowledge, whatever it is that you know how to do, when you use that to help to reverse the depravity of that given area of life, that given area of, of whatever it is that you're involved in, you are doing your part. And what we do really matters because when we build all of these things up to whatever height culture gets to with our help, that is the point that God will begin to refine and build the new creation on. He's not going to come and knock everything down that we've all done. You know, God's not going to come and knock down every, every work that you've done in your life and start over and make it spiritual. He's going to refine it and make it something of true value. So, you know, we love going on mission trips, but we love going on mission trips to extend the kingdom beyond our borders, you know. But we're not saying the only week of value for the kingdom that you will give in your entire year is this mission trip. What we're saying is the value that you put in the other 51 weeks in the year, just do it somewhere else, you know. You know, so let's get away from this, this division where things are secular and things are sacred. All of it is our worship to God. You know, our work is so much broader than simply saving souls, although that's obviously important. Everything we do has value. Everything we do has so much meaning. 
the very end of 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter that Paul writes on the resurrection. He's gone through and he said, you know, this is theologically why the resurrection is absolutely vitally important. But at the very, very end of that passage, he actually says, it's what you work at that matters. This is the result. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abiding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is a passage on resurrection. And he finishes up the end result of all of this thinking about the resurrection is that you go and do good works. You go and do stuff, you know, and you believe that it has lasting value. Okay. So it's actually a very enabling message because it's like, wow, the stuff that I go out and I just do that has real eternal value. And it's not just the prayers I pray. It's not just the tithe that I give. It's not just, you know, all that spiritual stuff. We need all that too, but everything you do has this value. So for me personally, I'm just, just going to finish with this. Um, when I've thought about this question, how will the new creation come? How will the kingdom come? This has actually freed me up to really value the, the huge variety of work that we have in the church. And I've just found so much freedom and respect for people in the church. You know, somebody who says, there's orphans somewhere in the world and I've got to go and help them. Suddenly that makes so much sense to me yeah. in a deeper level than it ever has before. I'm like, of course you would do that, you know. Of course you would do that because just that very work God is going to use and refine ultimately, you know. But the same could apply with anything. You know, I went to, um, I went to um, a concert the other night in Kalamazoo and um, the whole thing was, was, it, was just, it was a band playing and they were good. But, um, you know, the mechanics were there. You know, there were people dancing and there was live music like we have here. But there was no life. You know, and so how would you reach that group of people who are dead, who are under the water? How would you reach them? You wouldn't go in as a non-musician, most likely. You know, you would go in and use your talents to reach that group of people. Okay, think about that in whatever field you're passionate about or you have skills in. Does that make sense? So we just have so much that God has given us. We have so much potential. The resurrection power is in each one of us. We are prophetic signs of this world. And it's good. It's good news. And it's a solid, solid hope that we can rejoice in. All right. I just want to pray as I close that God would just, just get it deep in our hearts. So Father, we just rejoice in the resurrection hope and power that you've given us to go out and to see this world changed for you, God. We just thank you so much that our labor, our work is not in vain but it is all for your glory. We just thank you so much, Father, that you have given our lives meaning and purpose on this earth. Father, that you have given us the hope of glory, that you've given us your Holy Spirit as a deposit of the resurrection hope in our hearts. Would you come, Lord, and just make it a deep reality within each one of us and show us, God, how we can be used to further your kingdom in Kalamazoo. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Graham. Is this on? That was so good.